Let's take out uh, the Word of God this morning and turn to Psalm 119 as we continue to work our way through there. Psalm 119, we're going to start in 65. We're actually going to do two sections today because the uh, um, second half really builds a foundation for the first half in our understanding of how these things uh, are, are worked out and what is the base that they, uh, these, these acknowledgments of the uh, psalmist in the first half, what do they rest upon? They rest upon the truths that we find in the second half. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read the Word of God? Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we ask that your Holy Spirit descend upon us and give us understanding of your Word, that our eyes and hearts and minds would be open, uh, Lord, that we would hear in these words your voice and see how it is we are to live because of the grace that you have given to us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, Psalm 119, uh, verses 65 and following. Some of this you will know because we've sung it already Okay, in in the uh, Psalter. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep thy word. Thou art good and dost good. Teach me thy statutes. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart I will observe thy precepts. Their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in thy law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Thy hands made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments." May those who fear thee see me and be glad, because I wait for thy word. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are righteous, and that in faithfulness thou hast afflicted me. O may thy loving kindness comfort me according to thy word to thy servant. May thy compassion come to me that I may live, for thy law is my delight. May the the arrogant be ashamed, for they subvert me with a lie, but I shall meditate on thy precepts. May those who fear thee turn to me, even those who know thy testimonies. May my heart be blameless in thy statutes, that I may not be ashamed. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. So this section of Psalm 119 is going to focus upon two distinct things that we don't always understand or like that they are paired up together. One is God's goodness taking, and the second is that goodness takes place in the midst of our affliction. Now, so often we focus on the affliction and we want to get out of that affliction as fast as we can, and we think that this cannot possibly be good for us, but yet the psalmist states again and again that the Lord is at work within our affliction. Now, one of the problems that when we, we encounter when judging the value of our afflictions and the goodness of the Lord in the midst of all that is the immediacy of our society. 
the immediacy of our society. We're all familiar with how fast information goes back and forth. Um, when we see an event in the news, we expect it to be immediately reported to us. We expect to see somebody there with their phone taking pictures or better yet a video so we can actually see the raw footage because we like the raw footage, right? We want to see what's going on right now. We see something online that we like and we go, oh, I bet Amazon has that. And we turn to Amazon and we order it on Prime and the next day it's at our house. Just like that. Gosh. Or we go to a restaurant and, and we're there 10 minutes and we're looking at our watch going, what? where's my food? Where's my food? Or the best is that all the wisdom of the world is communicated in 140 characters. Uh, what else could we want in life, right? The immediacy. But just because the world is moving towards immediacy does not mean that the Lord is obligated to act in that fashion as well. The Lord will act in his time, which is perfect, which hardly ever is the same as Randy's time. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of want the Lord to do things according to my schedule and my agenda. But he says, what I do, when I do it, is best for you because you are mine. And in a world in which I can see the larger picture and all you can see is your own world, these things are what is best. Now, let's flip over to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to take a little uh, uh, excursion here to understand how this plays out. And then we'll see how all this fits together as we move forward. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. Now, remember, the psalmist is talking about how he sees the Lord's goodness in the midst of his affliction. And we'll look at his affliction uh, just lightly. We don't know whether it's, uh, it's coming from some other people or maybe it's the Lord himself that is afflicting him. Because sometimes the Lord does that for his purposes and for his reasons. So we come to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, <clears throat> usually when we're being disciplined, or the word might be afflicted, uh, however you, you can, can translate it, um, we, we want to get out of that affliction, we want to get out of that, but it says oh, sometimes it's good for us, it's good for us. Um, now, Charles Spurgeon says this according to this verse. The text shows us that carnal reasoning judges afflictions only in the present. We look at how we're being afflicted. We don't like it right now that I'm being afflicted. And then Spurgeon says, and the present happens to be the very worst light in which to form a correct estimate of what the Lord is doing. Okay, right now is not the best light to look at your affliction and go, well, the Lord can't want this. He must want something else. He must want the best for me. And so the best for me is to get out of this affliction. So, Lord, I'm ready to get out of the affliction. Well, that may not be what is best for you according to what the Lord has. God has a timeline and an agenda for our good. Remember that passage, pesky little passage in Romans. Okay? The Lord works all things for the good of those who are called according to his purposes, who love him, not... I mean, that's for believers. Now, and who defines what is good? The Lord does, okay? Not, not Randy. Because Randy's view of what is good is very selfish. It is very temporary. It is immediate in its application. 
but the Lord's view is different. He is under no obligation to let us know ahead of time when the affliction in our lives will produce the goodness that he wants in our life. Because we go back to Spurgeon. Then observe, dear friends, that the fruit is not instantaneous. It is not instantaneous. The verse says what? Later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Later is like soon. Okay? When is Christ coming? Soon. When will it yield its fruit of righteousness? Later. Well, when's later? It's, it's later. It's not now. Now, it might be tomorrow. We might go look back and see our affliction and see how quickly it produces the fruit of righteousness in our lives. Or it might not be for years to come and anywhere on the scale in between. It is the Lord's business. All he says is later it yields. Many believers are deeply grieved that they don't at once feel that they've benefited from afflictions. Oh, you know, okay, yesterday I was afflicted. Today, I understand why. No, maybe not. How about tomorrow? Maybe not. How about the next day? When am I going to benefit from all the trouble that I had? Maybe you in your personal life have gone through weeks or months or maybe years of affliction when you were put upon and, and, and you hardly thought you could survive it. And now that time is over and you go back and you look and go, I'm not sure why that's happened yet. Uh, but, but the Lord says what? Later it will produce the righteousness in my life. Spurgeon goes on to say, well, you do not expect to see apples on a tree which you have planted but a week ago, do you? You can't even see the tree coming up. It's a little seed. That fruit which God himself may accept, that's what it produces in our lives. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is what it does. He accepts the holiness, the purity, the patience, the joy, the faith, the love, all those things of Christian grace. That's what is produced in our lives through these afflictions. I don't like it. But it seems from God's word to be one of the ways that God produces the fruit of righteousness in my life. Lord, can't you find an easier way to produce righteousness in my life? Apparently not. Apparently not. So let's go back to our passage. Psalm 119. Affliction and how we understand God in the midst of it will reveal quite a bit about our hearts. In the midst of affliction, our knowledge of the Lord's goodness, our confidence in the Lord's um, providence uh, is one of the surest indications of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we are there complaining and bitter that we're in an affliction and just, just, just blaming the Lord and, and thinking nothing good can ever come out of this affliction, that's a problem here in my heart. My heart is really needs to be focused upon, okay, Lord, here I am in the midst of this. You know what this is about. I don't. I'm going to trust in you. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. And he, he lays out for us quite a few things here. Uh, in fact, he even says it, this affliction was needed in his life to produce the desired result. Needed. How many of you need affliction in your life today? Well, that none of us want to put up our hands, but apparently, if the psalmist does, David does, we, we probably could all put up our hands. I could use a little affliction to scrape off the rough edges in my Christian life. Maybe I could use a lot of affliction to scrape off 
a lot of rough edges in my Christian life. That's what's going on in the psalmist's life here. He needed the discipline of the Lord in his life, and it came in the affliction, the context of affliction. Now, it might be, look at verses 69 and 70. It says, The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart I will observe my precepts. Their heart is covered with fat. Well, elaborate on what he means on that a little bit later. So this is probably the affliction. He's mentioned this kind of before in, in several places. There, there are people who are lying about him, who are uh, pursuing evil against him. Uh, but throughout the psalm, he acknowledges that this discipline is one of the ways the Lord has dealt wisely with him. Wisely. Wisely. Are you sure this is wise, Lord? Are you sure this is the best way to do it? Yeah, he is. He is. I'm the one that's not. Look at verses 67. Before I was afflicted, what happened? I went astray. I went and did my own thing because it was good and I liked it and I pursued it. But now, after I've been afflicted, it's not written there, but now after I've been afflicted, I keep your word. I keep your word. Look at verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted. Why? Why would affliction be good for us? That I might learn your statutes. I might learn your law. I might learn your word. I might learn what it is you have for me and have for me to do. That's what he is saying here. So in both of those phrases, the affliction that he experienced humbled him, set him on the way that the Lord wanted him to be, and helped produce the fruit in his life that is pleasing to the Lord. So first we're going to look at three things from the second half, 73 through 80, that are going to form the foundation for the four things that we're going to find in 65 through 72. So look at verse 73, number one, the very first phrase, God made me, thy hands made me and fashioned me. Think of Psalm 139. Uh, and, and all that it says about being formed and shaped there and, and how none of, nothing was hidden from the Lord. Uh, we think of the children's catechism. The first question is, who made me? God. What else did God make? All things. Why did God make me in all things? For his glory. Okay? Uh, now, now, there is so much in those three questions, and that's just for the kids. Okay, it is so rich. Why do we, why do we try to t- teach the catechism to our children? Because those things get instilled and those truths get instilled, not just in the mind, but in the heart also. It's very simple, but so much of Christian life is caught up in those three questions. In those three questions. Now, the statement is important here. Thy hand made me. God made me. Because the time, by the time we get to the second half of this, look at verse 75. Uh, we're back into affliction again. He brings it up again. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness thou has afflicted me. So even though there are people in, in the first half who are lying about him, telling falsehood, arrogance, he knows that the root of this comes from the Lord because the Lord is using these individuals to afflict him that he might learn the word of God, that he might grow in the word of God and produce the righteousness that the Lord desires in his heart. You made me. Now, Lord, I'm in the midst of this affliction. And if I understand that you made me, 
then you didn't do this. You're not afflicting me to hurt me because I belong to you. You're not allowing this because you're not paying attention to me. You're not apathetic about me. You have made me and you've made me for a purpose and that purpose is your glory. So I must come to these afflictions with the understanding that they are upon me for what purpose? For his glory. That I might grow in the things of, of, of the Lord. That I might produce the fruit of righteousness that is pleasing to him. I am all that I am because he has made me and because he is at work in my life. So the first one that we build this foundation on is God made me. The second one is a request. And it comes from verse 73, the second half. Give me understanding, why? That I may learn thy commandments. The psalmist is in the midst of affliction. He's already started meditating on the fact that God made him. That he is here because the Lord has placed him here. So now he says, Lord, give me understanding. Not of his own heart, but from the Lord. He wants this understanding. uh, So that I may um, uh, grow in my understanding. That I may learn your commandments. I mean, this should be one of the prime prayers of the Christian life. Lord, give me understanding. And we've looked at this before. Before we read the word, before we come across any, any uh, things in our lives that we want to understand, we say, Lord, give me understanding from you. Don't just let my eyes read your word, but let my eyes see it and my heart understand it because you do that process within me. Because you give me the understanding. See, asking for the Lord to give us understanding is one of the first principles in our Christian life. It's one of the prime things we really need to understand it in all circumstances of our lives. We have to desire a deeper, a richer, a more biblical understanding of what the Lord is about in our life using all these other circumstances, even affliction. Now, but that's not usually our first concern in in affliction, as we mentioned earlier. Let me quote a little bit from William Plummer. He says, our chief concern, even in our trials, ought to be understanding more perfectly the divine will. What is the Lord doing here? Ah, but so often our first concern is, Lord, get me out of this. That's not what Plummer says. This is what Randy says. Plummer's saying, no, trials, in trials, the first question is, Lord, I want to understand who you are. I want to understand what you are like, even if I don't understand the specific purpose of of the trial, I want to know more about you in the midst of this. I want to know you deeper so I can know your purposes. So, Lord, in this trial, give me understanding where? From your word. From your word. So all through his word, he told us that you're the big thing that he is up to. In the trials, we can help learn those particular things that he is up to here in my heart. So the third thing comes from verse 73. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are righteousness, are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. God is righteous, and what he does is right. God is righteous, and what he does is right. Okay, this is, lays the foundation for us to understand these other things. Um, what I've experienced in my eyes might be unjust, but yet the Lord is still righteous. 
People might be lying about me. I might be caught up in their schemes and I might be uh, being pulled away into uh, the, the justice of the world and that's a false judge, justice because they've been lying. But even in the midst of that, the Lord is just. The Lord is righteous. He doesn't He's not lacking care about me. It's not a lack of love for me. It's not a lack of his goodness or righteousness. It's not a lack of his judgment because everything that he does is right and just. And whatever the Lord does or allows into the lives of his children produces righteousness in our lives. Okay, with those things to form our foundation, let's go back to the first section, 65 through 72. In verse 65, we find, Thou hast dealt well with thy servant according to your word. According to your word. So the psalmist is acknowledging the wisdom of the Lord. He's acknowledging the righteousness of the Lord. And he acknowledges it because it is according to his word. And the Lord says, this is the way I'm going to act. This is the way I'm going to do things. And you know what the Lord does? He acts according to how he has said he is going to act. So we can never go to the Lord and go, Lord, you never said you were going to be like this. You never said life as a Christian was going to be tough. You, I, I, I just assume it was going to be peaches and cream. But it seems to be thistles. It seems to be cold pricklies. Uh, well, the Lord says what? You should expect persecution. You should expect trial. You're not going to be magically removed from them. But what's the Lord promise? I will be with you. When? All the time. Where will we be? Once we're there, we are there for all eternity. Well, what about all those thistles I'm experiencing? What about the affliction? Yes, you are. But there in that affliction, you're in the Lord's hand. And you are protected by him. Now, protected, does that mean bad things are going to happen to you? They'll still happen to you. Does that mean that the Lord doesn't care about you? No, he cares very much about you. But in those affliction, shaping, molding, forming you to more Christ-likeness in, his, in your life. So that's what he says. It's according to your word. Uh, look at verse 68. You are good. You do good. Teach me your statutes. I know this is the way you are. Teach me what I need to learn. So the second one. The psalmist gives us clear acknowledgement that the Lord is using afflictions for our benefit. Verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now what? Now I keep your word. Ah. Because before affliction, life was good. There's plenty of illustrations for this in Scripture. Uh, Jeremiah 22, uh, I spoke to you in your prosperity and you wouldn't listen. Oh, how many times has that happened in our lives? Things are going really well and, and the Lord, you know, has something he wants out of us, but we're just not hearing it because life is too good here in the temporal world, here in, in the world that, that, that Randy's heart is devoted to. It's just so good in life. And the Lord is saying, Randy, I, I want you to do this. Or I've got this for you. And, and i just too busy enjoying these things to hear him. And he says to his people, I spoke to you in prosperity and you would not listen. And the psalmist says, I understand that sometimes when things are good, I turn a deaf ear to the Lord. But in affliction, man, how many times, how fast, I should say, are we to get to our knees in affliction? 
We don't get to our knees when it's good, although that should drive us to our knees even more so when things are good because the Lord has stuff for us when things are going good. But in affliction, we go to the Lord and we cry out and we understand what is going on here. But in affliction, the Lord has our full attention. Okay, Lord, here I am. What do you want? What am I supposed to learn? Think of Job. In chapter 42, we have Job's own assessment of what the Lord is doing in his life. He says to the Lord, hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes see you, and therefore I despise myself. I despise myself, and I sit in dust and ashes before you. You know, I'd I'd really like to be sensitive enough in my own heart that when things are going good, I'm even more attuned to what the Lord is doing. But this is not my nature as a human. My nature is when things are going good, I become self-centered. I become focused upon the immediacy of life. It's not until affliction hits me that the Lord then has my attention. And, and I don't know how you are. I'm going to assume you have those moments too. But I would much rather learn from blessing and, and how the world defines you know, niceness and goodness rather than have to go through affliction. But it is in that affliction so often that the Lord is teaching us and molding us. And then we can look back and go, that's why. That's what you were doing, Lord. Now I understand. It is later, and now I see the fruit that is being produced in my life. Lord, I had heard of you. I thought I knew you. This is back to Job. I thought I knew you, but through this affliction, I really know you now. Not just I know about you, but now I know you. I know what you were like. I understand you do good to me even in my affliction. Even in my affliction. And Paul says it much more so, and I'm going to read that whole section that that Bess read for us a little bit earlier. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Those are all bad things. Are they going to separate us from the love of Christ? For as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, as regards just like sheep led to a slaughter. No, Paul says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are hyper-conquerors. That's the Greek, hyper-conquerors. You think of uh, May 4th. May the 4th be with you and hyperspace and all the Star Wars stuff. Hyper-conquerors. Just think about that. Not just a little bit more, but hyper. For I am sure that neither, what, look what he lists, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth. And in case that wasn't enough, he goes what? Nor anything else in all creation. The conversation Bess and I were having, the deep theological conversation was, there are only three things, things that have never been created. They are the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They are eternal. They have no beginning. They have no end. Everything else that we see has been created by the Father through Christ for him, as we read in Colossians earlier. 
Nothing that has ever been created can separate us from the love of the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing at all. Number three, so affliction is not going to separate us from his love. It should drive us into his love. So number three, there's an acknowledgement here that the blessing uh, of the blessing of good judgment and true knowledge. The blessing of good judgment and true knowledge. Look at verse 66. Teach me good discernment and knowledge. And then 72. The law of thy mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Now, I'm going to quote Spurgeon here a little bit. He says, teach me good judgment and knowledge. And again, he begs for teaching as he did back in verse 64, the end of the previous section. Since God dwelt, dealt well with him, he is encouraged to pray for the judgment to appreciate God's goodness, to appreciate God's righteousness. Good judgment is the form of goodness which the godly man most needs and should most desire. And it is one that the Lord is most ready to bestow. Now just think about that. I need good judgment. That should be our prayer to the Lord. And, and is the Lord up there going, no, I don't think I'm going to give it to you. I don't think I'm going to give you the opportunity to be a wise individual and to judge according to what is right and what is wrong. He says, no, the Lord is most ready to give you that wisdom. And where does he give that wisdom from? Oh, it just happens to be this thing right here. See, the Holy Ghost and through the, the Holy Spirit, through the Word, the Holy Spirit alone can fill us with light, this is Spurgeon again, and set our understanding upon a proper balance. Let us long for his teaching, since the most desirable thing that we should, can do to be, is no longer to be children in knowledge and understanding, but to feast upon it. Remember Psalm 19 and what David says. His word is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey drippings from the comb. That is the word of God. That is the judgments of God. That is the righteousness of God. And the word rendered judgment here really is a, a word that also deals with tastes, with taste and, and a relishment for the truth. Let me have good judgment. Let me relish the truth that you have. Let me feast upon it. Let me enjoy it. Let me take it in and, 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 and enjoy it. And then verse 72. The law of thy mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Thousands of gold and silver pieces. We look upon the word of God here. And so often in our society, people go, well, it's so old, it's out of date, it really doesn't apply today. We've got to change it, we've got to adjust it, we've got to pitch out certain aspects of it. That's, that's not what he says. Let's look at this word as more precious to me than silver and gold. It is truth, and truth has not decayed through the years. The truth has not changed through the years. People want to change it, we change it, we say, no, nah, the Lord really didn't mean it that way when he said, or that was only applicable, that, that moral teaching was only applicable at that stage. No, the, the Lord says don't kill. We should do what? We should not murder. He says don't steal. We should do what? Don't steal. Okay? We should do what to our neighbors? Love our neighbors. We should do what to the Lord? Love the Lord our God with all our 
heart and mind, soul, spirit. Has that changed? No. The answer is no. These are to be deprived as if they came from the lips of the Lord this morning. They carry the same weight, whether they were written 2,800 years ago or whether they were written eight minutes ago from the hand of the Lord. It is his word. Finally, the last section, 69 and 70. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart, I will observe thy precepts. Their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in your law. He says, basically, he says, the Lord's blessing is often, often comes to us with the world's cursing. The Lord's blessing, the world's cursing. They come together so often. He says, basically, they're smearing me with lies, but I'm going to keep your word. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight the law. Now, I went and looked up this word fat because it kind of seemed a little bit odd to have that word there. Well, this is the only place in the Bible that this word occurs. But in extra biblical material, the word fat here means to make stupid and doltish. When was the last time you used that word doltish? Okay, um, to make stupid and doltish. So their heart is covered with spiritual stupidity and spiritual blindness. That's what the psalmist is getting at here. Their hearts through their indulgence, through their own insensible spiritual lives or to the spiritual things, their hearts are, are greasy with the things of the world and therefore they just do not understand the spiritual things in life. He says, they, the psalmist accepts their smears and accepts their lies, accepts their insensitivity as a humbling that the Lord has given to him. Okay? He, doesn't, he doesn't seem to fight back at it. Now, we don't know. That's not told us about it. But he seems to accept it because in his life, he's got to learn some things. Think of David. This is later in his life. He's gone through, uh, you know, the... Goliath, he's gone through the battles, Saul's tried to kill him, he's made it to Jerusalem, he's king, there's, there's Bathsheba, there's um, all the problems, and he has all these, all these uh, children, and Absalom is, seems to be his favorite, but Absalom is the worst, and Absalom turns against David and basically kicks him out of Jerusalem and takes over, and this is what happens. David is walking out of Jerusalem. And Shemi later stones David as he's walking out. He sits up on a hillside, and he's up there throwing stones at the king, calling him names. And what does David do? He, he simply says, his, his mighty men, those guys around him, say, David, let us go up and kill the guy. Look at his insolence. And David goes, no, no, no. This is a humbling experience for me by the Lord. Look at the things that I have done or not done in David's case, dealing with his children. And he says, it's just a humbling experience that I've got to go through that I might understand the Lord more and more. And where did it drive him to? It drove him to the word, to the Lord. So what should our affliction do? What should those who are, are, are fat in the world and, and afflicting us, where should it drive us? It should drive us right to the Lord. When the world mocks you, and lies about you as a believer when it lies about Christians in general, let it drive you to the word. There's going to be more and more of that ahead. 
There's going to be more and more lies about Christianity as the world continues to go in the direction that it's going and, and seems to be moving farther away from the word, farther away from uh, a place where truth is declared and it's absolute. You have to be ready to receive the afflictions of the world, the cursings of the world, and where should it drive us to greater truth, to deeper knowledge of the word, because the blessings of the Lord will often come be accompanied by the cursings of the world. So let's pray. Lord, as we dig into this, uh, this section of your psalm, we, we see the psalmist is, he says, you know, I needed this affliction because I needed to learn better obedience. I needed apparently to produce in my life more righteousness and the fruit that you were pleased with, Heavenly Father. Some of us have had experiences uh, of our own that we look back and go, well, I, I guess I needed that, Lord. I needed to know that pain. I needed to know that affliction. I needed to know that trial, whatever it was. Lord, we pray as we look forward in our lives that as we face these things, we may understand your goodness in the midst of our affliction. We might understand what it is that you're doing. We, we may not understand right away, but it says later it will produce in us the, peaceful, the fruit of peaceful righteousness. It will produce in us the things that you are pleased with. Lord, we, we, we give ourselves over to you. I don't want to do just what I want to do. I want to do what you want to do, but, but it's a learning process. It can be tough. It can be difficult, but you promise to be there no matter what. You promise that things will come into my life, come into the life of each believer, but you will not abandon us. You will use them to teach us and shape us into the conformity to the things of Christ. Lord, we pray that all that we do is a blessing unto you, is an offering for your glory, Lord, that our lives might demonstrate who you are and the great mercy and grace that you've given to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.